I changed the title of the message, um, and, and that is a, uh, an appropriate title, John 12, 28, because Jesus is just about to die. But I've changed it to conversation with heaven. Conversation with heaven. And I had a good reason for doing that. Because when we look in this verse, when Jesus prayed, a voice from heaven came. So that there was a two-way conversation taking place, Jesus on earth and his Father in heaven. And one of the things I think we, in, in, in I don't want to say in the 21st century, I think it's been this way all along. We think that if we could really come to grips with life on earth, we will be able to deal with life on earth. If, if we could put a handle on, on things we understand and things we don't understand. That's why books are written on how to. <laughs> you, you remember the year 2000? We were still living in Toronto, and that was the year when all our computers were supposed to go haywire, and we were supposed to do the things. I, I went to a, a bookstore, one of my great friends in Toronto, and, and as I walked into his store, I, I, it shocked me. He said, Winston, are you prepared? <laughs> and I said, for what? <laughs> and, and, and he was able to tell me how it was going to happen. And the whole idea is, is if, if we could only get a handle on how to take care of the future... You know, it's, it's interesting. Before Stephen Hawking died, he, he, made, he made this statement. He said, we better get ready to try and deal with life out of, uh, 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 in space. We, we better prepare ourselves to make friends with them. And when I heard him saying that, I thought, good night, Stephen. We can't even get along with one another now. And you're talking about life out of space? But we have that idea. Jesus was about to die. He knew the inevitable was supposed to take place. And in the midst of that, he was able to lift his earthly circumstances right out of time and space into the eternal, so that by dealing with it from the eternal, he was able to deal with it on earth. The Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, says this, If in this life only we have hope, we are to be pitied. If in this life only we have hope, Christians tend to live this way. Either they live for the future and forget the present, or live in the present and forget the future. And truly, the Christians has his or her feet in both spheres. We live in time and we live in the eternal. But the eternal is the foundation upon which we build in time 
so that we're able to deal with the inevitables of life. The text that we have before the communion this morning is John chapter 12, verse 28. Really, it should be the context of John. The last communion service, we looked at Jesus with the words, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. But I want, I want you to see why he said that from the text for this week. John 12, 28. Perhaps I should read 27 and then 28. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And in verse 28, John is giving us an explanation of what happened. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And later on, Jesus said, that voice was not for my sake, but for your sakes. Is there someone outside of time to whom I can appeal when my soul is troubled? When, when I go through the, the, the things in life that were supposed to be things that, you know, I, I've been struggling with this. I really have been. I told my son in school class this morning about an incident that happened in Toronto this past week. An 11-year-old girl whose father was separated from the mother had the 11-year-old girl for her birthday. And 5 o'clock came and the little girl did not show up. 8 o'clock came and the Nobody showed up, the little girl. So about 10 o'clock, she called the police. And she said, my husband has my daughter. We haven't been able to, to contact them. And here this, folks. They put out an amber call. People were complaining because they were being disturbed at 10 o'clock at night for a little girl. Uh, Toronto has changed, let me tell you. That's not the Toronto I, was, I, I knew. But... Two o'clock the morning or so, they found the little girl. Her father had killed her on her birthday. And, and I was thinking, I've been thinking of it. Think of that little girl, how safe she felt because it was her dad. And in the midst of that, her life was snatched. The whole city of Mississauga, where they live. We know it very well. We've been there several times. That's where the airport is, so we had to be there several times. Just, just think how that mother must be feeling this morning. Apparently, they are Buddhist people, and Buddhists do not believe that there's anything beyond this life, that if you deal with life from a standpoint of getting rid of desires, you'll get rid of anything else that is bad. Jesus said, now is my soul troubled. And what did he do when his soul was turning over, as it were, inwardly? The first thing that came from his mouth was, Father, 
Peter, the Greek word, father. Here in time, he was catapulting his whole being outside of time, going to his father in heaven. What, what kind of a father is that that will allow his son to go through that? Jesus never asked that question. Jesus never asked the question, what kind of a father would let his son go through that kind of a situation? He simply had such confidence in what his father was doing that he was willing, because of the love relationship between the father and the son, to give his life for the purpose for which he came into earth. What kind of a God is that? Let me suggest to you what kind of a father Jesus gives to us to call upon in our time of difficulties. How, how great is this and magnificent is this ability? He's a father, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 2 Corinthians 1, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 1, 3. He's a father of all comfort or the father of all mercies. The word mercies comprehends everything that hurts. And God is the one who comes that we can appeal to because he's the father of mercies. In John 1, John 3, 1, he's the father of love. John said, behold, what kind of love the father has bestowed upon us. And here is life, friends. Here is life. When you have a God who is a God who is a God of mercy and a God of love, when the bottom seems to be falling out, it is possible for us to know that there's somebody there greater than we are. I, I was, I was um, looking at some of my books and I came across the name of Samuel Beckett. Do you know who Samuel Beckett is? You have to be my age and live during the the 60s, to know about the theater of the absurd and so on. And I love reading that kind of stuff because it seems so stupid. <laughs> in, 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 in 1964, in 1964, Beckett, who was, who was a, a novelist, an Irish novelist, loved by his students, he said this, listen to this, how am I a temporal being imprisoned in time and space to escape from the imprisonment when I know that outside time and space lies nothing. When I know that outside time and space lies nothing and that I, in the ultimate depths of my being, I am nothing. Jesus said, wrong, Samuel, it's wrong. There is, there is a God outside of time and space. You see, friends, I'm going to tell you why this is important. We have come to the place now where our society is called a secular society. Up until, up until 2015, North America still, was still considered to be a, a Christian influence. Not a Christian nation, but a Christian influence nation. 
But 2015 changed all that. He started back in the 60s, may I, may I say. And we have since become a secular society. The word secular comes from the idea that only now matters. That only within time and space can I deal with life. When I was a college student, we had to study some of the works of Albert Camus. You don't need to know who Camus is. But he was one of the great French existentialists who wrote books that encouraged students uh, back in the 60s and so on. And Camus said this. I'm summarizing. He said, the only question we need to ask when we're alive is when we'll commit suicide, not if we will do it. See, when Jesus was on the cross, he didn't wish for death. When Jesus was on the cross, he was able to appeal to someone who was outside of death and who was greater than death, could deal with it. And so he cried, Father, Father. Now, I want you to see what, what he said. What was the goal of his request? Father, glorify your name. Now, now friends, look at that. When, when most people are dying, they're not thinking of somebody else. They might think of another loved one or so on, but, but not in the way that Jesus is saying it here. He's calling upon his Father, and he's saying, Father, glorify your name. In other words, take what I am going through. Lift it out of the hands of men. And so use it. So at the end of it all, men will say, women will say, what a great God he is. That's what he's saying. Glorify your name. In, in my troubled time, I know that, that, that you are able to take this thing and work through it. Death is such an ugly, ugly thing. But if I put it in your hands, my troubled soul can be lifted from its temporal concern to its eternal concern. Because, ladies and gentlemen, let me suggest something to you. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7 says this. God has created you, and he has created me for his glory. He has created you, and he's created me for his glory. In other words, we are not simply created for our good looks. We are not simply created because we're intelligent. When God created the heavens and the earth, they started to speak and says the heavens declare what? The glory of God. Do you remember when, when, the, when the Pharisees said to Jesus, stop your disciples from praising you? Do you remember what Jesus said? If they stop, the stones will cry out. Because all creation, my friends, was made to glorify God. And the only thing that God created that is not glorifying him Finish it. Man. Man. And Jesus comes here and he's able to take this experience of his and he could say, Father, glorify your name. Now, friends, I'm not standing here telling you 
that I'm able to do this. You know, you know when, when, a, when, a, when a wife is sick, she's sick. She can get up and do things feeling terrible. But when a husband is sick, he is sick. <laughs> when a husband is sick, this, the worst place a wife wants to be is around a sick husband. <laughs> we moan and we groan and we, we want love and we don't want it. We want food and we don't want it. You know, friends, friends, it doesn't take much to let us just focus upon ourselves so deeply that it must sound terrible to the next person who has to deal with that. Jesus was not complaining in his time of sorrow. He was able to say, Father, you know, I Tuesday... Tuesday, I knew that my voice was going. <coughs> Wednesday, I knew it had gone. I called John and I said, John, I, 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 I don't think I'll be able to come out. And John said, you don't sound good. <laughs> I said. But I don't remember, friends. I, I will confess to you. I don't remember in those moments saying, Father, glorify yourself through this time of my life. Let me not cease to minister to my, to my wife, to my neighbor in the event they need me. Glorify yourself through this. Good night. It was just a sore throat. I wasn't dying. You get the idea, friends? That we, we, we tend, the slightest thing just throws us off. And we don't think about God glorifying himself in this. Uh, you know, would you allow me to just stop preaching and just say something a minute? I, I, I was with Sandy, uh, the, uh, the accident. And, and I, went into the, I, I went into the room, and I don't even know if she remembers that I was there. And uh, she was there, and the doctors were there, and the tubes hanging all over the place and, and the doctor walked in and I was there and Sandy said, this is my pastor. He baptized me in two weeks and I'm still happy. <laughs> Good night. I mean, there she was on the bed, tubes. The doctor came in touching this and, and so on. I, friends, I'm not saying that we are, we are able to do this, but we should be praying that in our troubled times in life, we learn to ask God how to glorify himself through it. Well, time is almost gone. Let me go to the response, the response to Jesus. Two thoughts about the response. Just imagine what it must have been like. Jesus said, Father, glorify yourself your name, who you are. Don't let the devil get one inch of privilege in this. And immediately the scripture says, a voice was heard from heaven. Friends, let me say this before I give my thought. For you and me, when we lift our voice 
to heaven, that's the only place we want to get a response from. I, I, don't, want, I don't want Jesus plus. I, I don't want prayers but. Jesus looked to no other place in no other direction. He said, Father, and the Father answered. That's what you and I should, the confidence we should have when we call on, on, on God. Listen, it was a personal response. Personal response. Father, glorify your name. And he said, I have glorified it. This was not a rebuke. He was saying, I agree with you, son. That's what I've been doing from the time you incarnated yourself and came to earth. I have been glorifying my name through you and in you. God is glorified. And when he is, this is, this, uh, this is an amazing thing. People hear thunder. Jesus heard a voice. The, the people, are, are people who are not related to the Father will always have to find some other explanation. Jesus knew who was answering. And God answered in a personal way. I have. I have glorified it. Please listen to why he did it, friends. Because the greatest concern about, about God is his own glory. If you and I would glory in anything apart from God, it means that something is greater than God. So God is not being egotistic when he wants to be glorified. He's showing you and me what is the highest form of glory, glorying in this time-space world in which we live. I have glorified it. If you look at Psalm 29, and we won't go there, Psalm 29, it speaks about the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord. When Elijah was discouraged and he went into the wilderness, he heard the voice of the Lord. And friends, we are so technological convinced in the days in which we live that we don't take time to listen to the voice of the Lord. We are too busy. I mentioned some time ago, I was watching a program when it was time for lunch and I usually watch news and other things at lunchtime and just giving God thanks for my food. And I could hear the television in the background. And I thought, no, God doesn't have to compete with the television for my voice. I stopped and I turned it off. Because, my friends, the only way, please listen, the only way you and I will hear the voice of God is if we quiet our souls to hear it. That's the only way. God will not compete with anything to speak to us. When we call, he will answer. Not Gabriel, not Michael, not a cherubim, 
God himself. I. I. Read Psalm uh, Isaiah 43 if you want to see what that I means. That I is a sovereign word. That I means that when God says I, it means that there's nobody else apart from him. He's the only one who can say it that way because his I is a sovereign I. Nothing is greater. Nothing is stronger. Nothing is smarter. God, when he personally answers, he answers with who he is, his own character. Glorify your name. And Jesus, God said, I have done so. I have done so. And lastly, it's what I call a perennial response, and I will glorify it again. <laughs> Friends, please listen, because I think we're living in a day when we are wondering if it can happen again. There were times in the past when God did some wonderful things. And we have come to the place now where we're wondering if he can do it again. The last great revival that took place that this country felt was in 1905. 1905. And we're wondering, can God do that again? And he said, I will glorify it again. I'm not only a God of the past. I'm not only a God of the present. I'm a God of the future. Nothing can happen in time that goes beyond me. I will glorify. No matter what happens, I will glorify my name. You will find your refuge in your heavenly Father. The future looked bleak. The crucifixion, the death, the burial. And in the midst of that, he heard the voice from heaven that says, I will glorify it again. And on the third day, guess what? He did it again. You see, the first time he raised a dead was Lazarus in chapter 11. And now, your resurrection, my resurrection, the resurrection of our loved ones that have gone on before. That's, that's all secure in the promise of Jesus. I will glorify it again. Let me close with the words that you'll find in, in your Bibles. Because the end, listen, the end of the whole work of redemption will take place when he glorifies it again. Let me tell you how it's going to be done. Please listen, listen as I read. I'm reading from J.B. Phillips. Once in a while, I like reading the Englishman. Taken from Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. He did not cling to his prerogative as God's equal, but stripped himself of all privileges by consenting to be a slave by nature and by being born as a mortal man. And having become a man, he humbled himself by living a life of utter obedience even to the extent of dying. And the death he died was the death of a common criminal. This is why God has now lifted him up so high and has given him a name which is beyond all names. We're in the process. It's coming. 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. That's when the work of redemption is finished. When we enter into the eternal bliss, the marriage feast, today we remember what happened yesterday. But a day is coming when this will no longer be there. And our Lord, we open the service with the song, the servant song, when our Lord will serve us in that great feast we call the marriage feast. And so friends, make conversation with heaven. Whatever the situations in life may be, may we learn how to have conversations with heaven because earth has no, no problem that heaven cannot heal. Let's pray. Father, take your word and lift us from where we are to where you are so that we will be able to deal with the inevitables of life by holding conversations with heaven that we might be answered personally by God, the God who is the God of yesterday, today, and the tomorrows. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.